In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hear feedback? I'm not sure where that's coming from. Okay, um, so I don't know about you. It's the end of. It's been the end of lockdown, and uh, I've been busier than I've been for a very, very, very long time. I feel like um, everything that was not that people weren't able to do or couldn't organise or whatever has suddenly been shoved into the last, you know, few weeks of this year. So it's been a really, really crazy and hectic time. And I happened the other day to read an article by some academic. I, I tried to look it up, but I, I couldn't find it again, so I don't know who he was. But he was talking about the reasons why we feel so busy and why we feel so, so like the pace of life is so hectic um, recently. And his main idea or his main thesis was that we actually work less than people did 100 years ago, like the hours that we work in a day. We actually work less than 100 years ago. And that there's no strong evidence that we actually are more busy than the number of things that we're doing. There's not really any strong evidence for that necessarily. But certainly our perception of time has changed. And he put that down to technological changes and changes in society. Now, I'm not really sure whether or not we are in fact less not as well, our business hasn't changed. I, I think it kind of has, but that, that's not the important part. The important part was his line of reasoning and, and the conclusions that he drew from that. And he's not a Christian, so his conclusions were different to mine. Um, but basically what he was saying was that in the last so many years, I mean, we can see it, the religious and social institutions that existed have either broken down or have lost their influence in society. And so the institutions and all those things that regulated life, in a sense, the, the rhythm of life, those are kind of now gone or they've lost their influence. And re with regards to technology, technology has changed the way that we relate to the world, to the natural world, um, to the seasons, to all kinds of things. So. Um, these two things have really changed the way that we experience time and experience the rhythms of life. So, for example, just 100 years ago, people on a Sunday morning would not have asked what they were going to do. They wouldn't, the question wouldn't have, wouldn't have occurred to them, what am I going to do this morning? Almost everyone went to church, so they would have gotten up and gone to church. It wasn't really a question, they just did it. They just did that, right? It wasn't really a thing that you thought about. Whereas today, with the waning of the tradition of going to church on Sunday morning, the number of things that people can do, the choices of things to do, has grown exponentially. It's exploded. And so now, it'd be hard to even pick what people are doing on a Sunday morning. You wouldn't know, okay? There's so many things. With technology, even just 30 years ago, when I was a kid or you know, even more recently than that, actually. Um, and this is not, nothing to do with, with a church rhythm, but just the, the rhythm of life. Um, you had your favourite TV shows, you looked it up in the TV guide, and you had to wait until Friday night or whenever it was, or it was a radio show or whatever. There was a rhythm to that, which, although it's not a particularly pious rhythm, it was a rhythm that regulated kind of the week. It gave some checkpoints in the week. Now we have the internet, we've got streaming, everything's on demand, um, you can watch things anytime you like, so that's kind of gone. All right? 
um, you know, I'm thinking about things people are doing on Sunday morning. Maybe that's what they're doing. They're, net watching, they're what, um, binge watching Netflix or something like that, right? It could be anything. So it's, it is absolutely true that those things have changed the way that we perceive time. And for many people, the only kind of fixed rhythms that they have in their life could be work, um, or work if you're working, or, or maybe school life, and maybe sport. For, for many people, those are the kind of things that would be the fixed things in their lives that they, they would go through um, in the week. But the rhythms of life, the, the, the rhythms that govern our life, they give us stability, and they help us to manage with the day-to-day hassles that come along, and also the, the more severe and major disruptions to life. Those rhythms create a buffer that give us the ability to kind of handle those things when they come up. And the, but the, so the, in, in that sense, the conclusion of the academic who wrote the article was a bit strange. He, he thought that the loss of all of these rhythms that guided people's lives up until now, the loss of those things was absolutely fine because now everyone has the opportunity to create their own rhythms, their own life, to live the life the way that they want, okay? So, you know, maybe we should have a big sigh of relief and say, well, that's all great then. But frankly, I don't think that, myself, I don't think personally that, you know, with my rather limited grasp of what's good for me, that um, trying to salvage a little bit of sanity from a crazy world is much of a, is, is a good replacement for what, what we've lost in that sense. I, I don't think so. So, talking about these rhythms, we should be very, very thankful that the Orthodox Church has never given up on its own internal rhythms. We have the liturgical cycle of the year, and that liturgical cycle is rich and should give structure to our everyday lives. So um, it gives structure to our lives, and not only does it give structure to our lives, but it's also a way of mitigating the effects of the craziness of the outside world. It gives us that strength or gives us kind of signposts and things that will mark the year, the weeks, the year, the months, that keep us going through it despite all the craziness of weirdness that's happening in the world around us. So we have days, of, days and periods of feasting and fasting um, that bring order to the weeks and months every year. We are, as Christians, continuously called to align our lives with the life of the church, which is kind of the liturgical life of the church, to bring our lives into alignment with that, rather than the rhythms of the world. Wherever those, thi- wherever those things conflict, we should be choosing the rhythms of the church over the rhythms of the world. And moreover, this liturgical, con- con- this liturgical tradition has numerous signposts along the way that point out important points in the year. And it turns out that this particular Sunday is one of those signposts. Because if you listen to the Gospel reading today, it's talking about a great banquet, a great feast. And so we might think about, well, what's, what's that pointing to? It's pretty obvious. So every week we're invited to the Eucharist, which again, is, it's a regular feast. And we partake of Christ's body and blood. And so that's something that we should be doing every single week. But there are certain events in the life of the church that we should pay particular attention to. These generally have to do with the, the economy of salvation, so the life of Christ, the Theotokos, thing, high points, certain points like the Nativity, Theophany, 
uh, Pascha, all those things are the highlights of the path of salvation. So we're asked to pay particular attention to those points throughout the year. And we're also asked not just to pay particular attention to them, but to participate in them. And when we mean participation in the Orthodox Church, we mean real participation. We are participating in that event mystically. Through our liturgy, we are joining with the angels in, for example, Nativity, we're joining with the angels in praising, in welcoming Christ in, in the event. Although the event occurred in the past, mystically we're present and we're actually participating in that event. So it's, it's important for us to be there, right? If we're not there, we can't participate in the event fully. All right, so um, the gospel reading today is because the Nativity is coming in two weeks' time. And so it's telling us to get ready, to prepare, to refocus. We've been fasting for probably four weeks up until now. The last two weeks, it's a little bit stricter, but we're asked to refocus. Okay, so... um, All right. So talking about the Gospel reading, the context for this story about the Christ parable about this great banquet is that um, he was invited to a dinner by one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath. So they're having a Sabbath supper or Sabbath dinner. And it's a kind of, a, I guess, I don't know much about it myself, but I've heard that these things are kind of a formal thing. It's not just uh, you turn up and start chatting and eating. Right? It's, it's a more formal kind of event. And the, um, so, but Jesus then starts to do things the Pharisees don't really like. First off, he heals someone um, who's there at this dinner. The Pharisees don't like that because uh, on healing people on the Sabbath is considered work and uh, they don't like working on the Sabbath. So Jesus points out to them that, well, you know, if, a donkey, if, if your donkey or your ox fell into a pit on the Sabbath, you wouldn't hesitate to go and pull the donkey or the ox out of the pit. So the implication being, so why are you saying that we shouldn't heal human beings on the Sabbath? doesn't make sense, right? You're not being merciful. He then also notices that as all the guests came in, they kind of chose the best places in the room for themselves, and they sat down. And he says, well, when you come into a dinner or a feast, you, should, you shouldn't choose the best places for yourself. You should have, like, in perfect humility, seat yourself in the worst places. If the host then wants to move you, that's, that's fine. He can raise you up to a higher position, but don't do that yourself, right? So he's talking to the guests and pointing out that humility is really important. Finally, he talks to the host and he says, and, you know, I noticed that you invited all of these people, but all these people here, they, they could repay you. Why, why did you invite them? Invite all the poor people. The poor people can't repay you. They, they, they can't give anything back to you. And so your reward will be with the righteous in the resurrection. You won't be rewarded necessarily in this life because it's, you know, all these people can give you stuff back, but invite the poor people. And so these three things are actually what this parable is about. When you talk about it's a kind of capitulation of all of those criticisms of what they're doing um, in one story. Okay, so um, what it gives us is a memorable picture of these three things that, that Jesus is telling to the Pharisees. And by implication, of course, if he's talking to Pharisees, he's talking to us. All of us should identify with the Pharisees in this story if we're reading it properly. We should identify ourselves with the Pharisees and then we should, we should adjust our lives according to what Christ says 
about their things. So this is to us. Um, so in ancient Palestine, if someone invited you to a banquet, a banquet, okay, the invitations would go out well in advance because there's a lot of preparations to do and so on. So the invitations would go out well in advance and then you would reply to say that you're coming. Of course, then the host knows what he has to prepare for. Then when everything was prepared, the people would come out again and say, the, the, the feast is happening, please come. If you declined to go to the feast at that point, the host, of course, is going to be very insulted because he's already spent a lot of time and money preparing for this feast. And so it's a very um, insulting thing to, to do, right? And, of course, in the parable, the guests who refused to come are the Jews. So the Jews were... The invitation has first gone out to the Jews to come into the kingdom of God and into his wedding feast in the kingdom of God. But tragically, as they so often did in the past, they simply refused to come in. The poor who were gathered, in the, gathered from the streets and in the city, these the crippled, the blind, the lame, all of those people, the tax collectors and the sinners, those people were the Jews who welcomed Christ. Okay, They were all the ones who welcomed Christ. Those that the servant went out to the highways and the byways and the hedges and he brought in all of those people. They're the Gentiles, okay? And there was still room for them, of course, in God's feast. It was only when the Jews had refused to come in that um, God's invitation went out to the Gentiles. Now, the excuses that the Jews who refused to come into the feast gave, well, the guests, we can, we can refer to those as the Jews who refused, but... The excuses that they gave have a number of different interpretations depending on the different church fathers, but here's, here's a few of them. Um, so Gregory the Great said that the excuse of um, having acquired a plot of land was about putting earthly possessions before the kingdom of God, okay? So thinking about your, your lands, your things, things of the world that you own, putting that before God. St. Augustine said about the yoke of five oxen, that this was about the five senses. So this is putting the pleasures of the body, the pleasures of the senses, ahead of the things of God. Okay, that's what that's about. And as for the third excuse, which was about um, the, the guy said he's, he's got a wife now, so he's not coming. Um, so what's so bad about getting married? It doesn't seem like a bad thing, right? Um, so one of the merciful laws in the Old Testament was that um, and this, I'll just quote it, when a, when a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one, one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. That's in Deuteronomy. So perhaps this is what the young man is thinking, right? I don't have to do anything because I just got married, so I've got a year to myself to do whatever I want, you know, be happy at home. But even things that are considered good are not good if they're used as excuses to not go into the feast that Christ is, that God has called us to. So even good things can become snares for us if we don't put them in their right place, in the right perspective. The application to us is really obvious. We should be rushing to accept God's invitation like the tax collectors, sinners, Gentiles in the parable. Their, 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 uh, their um, trying to find the word, but, but their, their action, is their, that's the action that we should be imitating, all right? Um, not making excuses like the Jews who refused to accept the invitation. And the epistle reading today is very much the same 
the same thing. St. Paul is saying that there's a whole bunch of things that we should be avoiding, okay? All kinds of sins and all sorts of things. The reason why is because if you think about those excuses that, they were, that I just talked about, the things that St. Paul talks about in the epistle reading are essentially those things, right? And we can, if we, use, if we participate in those things, it's like we are making excuses not to participate in the life of the church properly. So those two things, being attentive, being attentive to participation in the life of the church every week and on major feast days, if we are attentive to that and pay attention to it, then this leads naturally to a life which is um, naturally to a life lived in such a way that the end of our days uh, will be among those that enter the kingdom of God with joy. Okay? We will have run the race according to the rules, as St. Paul says, and we'll be welcomed into Christ to his great banqueting table. So the, the participation, full participation in the life of the church leads us to the, to the, at the end of our days to the entry of the kingdom of God in a joyous way, not with regret. So in these last few weeks, we should be making time to get ready, to get ready for the feast of the Nativity. And it's tempting to think that, you know, we, we always talk about cafes, confession, almsgiving, uh, fasting, Eucharist, uh, scripture reading, and all of that with prayer, and we need to be doing all of those things. But that's not the only, these are not the only things that we should be doing. Going back to the beginning of what I was talking about with the busyness of life, in these last two weeks, maybe it's time to start thinking about um, how we are living our lives, the types of things that we're involved in, for example. Um, schedules, things like that. Can we do something? Can we change things to conform our lives more closely to the life of the church? So that's my main point for today, is that we should be trying to do that, okay? And it's an ascetic discipline because our society is not set up, it's not conducive to our life as Christians, and so it takes effort and it takes sacrifice to be living our lives properly in accordance with the life of the church. So um, maybe in the next couple of weeks, we're coming up to Christmas, many people are still working, maybe you need to make an extra special effort to kind of, or maybe we need to, I know I definitely need to, to make an extra, extra special effort to kind of clear the decks at work. Try to finish everything early so there's time to get ready for the Feast of Nativity. For other things, maybe you can look at it and say, I could postpone that until after Theophany, for example. Or this one here I could just cancel. Some people, they don't have the opportunity to do those things. They're very, their schedules are really fixed, like emergency workers and so on. You can't do much about it. But certainly, we can all turn our hearts and minds to Christ at as many opportunities as we can in the next couple of weeks to try and be ready to really participate in the feast. So whatever we do, little things or big things, whatever we can change, all of those things, if we do them for the purpose of participating fully in the feast and honouring Christ, then most certainly we're doing it in, a well, in something that is well-pleasing to God. And at the end of, the, at the end of days, we're going to be um, rewarded for that. So God give us strength, help us to prepare as we go through these next couple of weeks for the feast and help us, and, and that we have a great and um, joyous feast. Rejoice.